The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody. I am Patrick Darty here today with John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, and Patrick Crane on the first of a good football show's two week four previews. We'll be talking Thursday night football and some real big games like the Chiefs at the Eagles, the Seahawks visiting the 49ers. We'll also be graced with Crane's stat of the week, which I'm trying to make into a thing. Uh, maybe we can get like a sponsor for that or something. And we're going to try to dive into every fantasy-relevant player. Uh, you know, I didn't send you guys an opening show prompt today because I wanted this one to be raw. Through three weeks, I just want to know either who you are most glad to be rostering in season-long fantasy leagues or least glad. I'll throw to John Daigle first. He looks perplexed, um, like he can't think of a good <clears throat> answer. So it's probably good to throw to him. Well, as you know, in best ball season, we draft everyone. So it's just hard for me to think about who I'm happiest to be overexposed to uh amari cooper is one even though i know it's weird to say after monday night's game but i'm still happy to be there yeah i don't know uh go ahead pat kyle i'm trying to think didn't you hear amari had been canceled john so that was that was a poor answer well then Um, cd lamb also canceled (laughs) crane we happy or sad about anybody yeah Oh, yeah, that's fair. We were overweight on DJ Moore. That's a good one. Of course, of course, we were overweight on DJ Moore. Another one, CD Lamb. Like, I feel like every year is a prove it year in that everyone's like, oh, Calvin Ridley's up around this year. We can't draft Calvin Ridley. Oh, Chris Godwin, he's jumped six spots in the last month. We can't draft Chris Godwin. And CD Lamb, again, was that where like, uh, CD Lamb, he, he, I mean, he did get expensive, right? It got to where it was, it was a little nerve wracking to be paying that much for CD Lamb, but it was a prove it year. It's very obvious that these are the breakout candidates we want. Prove that you can price that in. And once again, the market, uh, that doesn't seem like it's proved that it proved that it can do that. You know, actually, now that I think about it, I think I'm actually happiest to be underweight on Jonathan Taylor, who oh, was my RB15 preseason. And the argument was the Colts offense and the way they built the team is so bad that we know Naheem Hines is very good and going to split third down reps in negative game script. And so far, so good. Uh, of course, Taylor can still buoy these touches and turn in an RB1 performance from time to time. It's just going to take the Colts winning. And so far, that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. I feel the exact same way about Nick Chubb. It's like the same arguments you were making, but even to probably a greater extent for the receiving work. And, uh, you know, that's borne out that those guys, just as Kareem talked about throughout the offseason, they're not going to kill you. Like, I, the way Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb have scored through three weeks could perfectly be the RB10, 11, 
seven, six, whatever. But I'm not, I'm not dying to those teams. And to be fair, there were spots because as we know, everyone gets bored during best ball season. So thus everyone, every player gets made a case for and against at some point. We have nothing else to talk about. And so like there were spots you could start McCaffrey and Taylor. And I know that doesn't sound good in hindsight right now, but that's <laughs> when you were taking Taylor, not at the first, second round turn. That seemed insane. Well, he was going in the mid first at the early part of best ball season. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I was actually taking him more in that like 204 range. Um, cause I was like, Hey, I'm getting something on the, you know, the, the drafters who were taking a much higher earlier. The guy I was very nervous to select in that same range, Saquon Barkley, who I have on a couple high stakes teams as well. I'm feeling pretty good about that exposure. Now everything's, everything's pointing up. He's going to be the cover boy for the Friday walkthrough this week. It's looking really good. The receiving usage was there last week. The snaps, it's all turning up. Yeah. You, man, I don't Saquon I, nation. I, I, I know the usage. I know what's happening behind the scenes. I still just still worry, though. Uh, you know, this week is a terrible spot. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We're not going to get that game today. But also, like, it's still the same thing we thought. A running back in the worst offense in the league who has to turn these touches into, like, fantasy points. I think the argument is the low-end RB1s are just bad. So, like, that's how Barkley gets there. But I don't know if I'm, like, happy I actually fall a little more on Diggle's side. I was uh, surprised Crane was so high on him because he's just there. But, like, he's another player. I almost feel like I don't feel this tremendous risk of getting Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamard from last year by yeah. Saquon yet. And maybe when he goes out and catches 10 passes this coming week, I'll, I'll totally re- that's, reset That's that. what it is. He's got the Najee Harris set up this week where all the receivers <laughs> are Yeah, hurt. man, he does. And they've got the there's no pass rush this week. The the secondary is pretty solid, so they're just gonna dump off to Saquon a million times. It's gonna be great. You know, we're upping the weekly Saquon receptions over under from five point five to seven point five beginning this week, and it's gonna be the over every single week is the plan for Saquon Nation out here. We've moved on from DMOT Nation. We're all in on Saquon uh, Nation and how, by the way, the exact argument I was making for CeeDee Lamb, oh, I wasn't making like this argument. I was getting heavy 2019 Calvin Ridley vibes from CeeDee Lamb. I'm like, we're just a year too early. Amari Cooper is still so good. And, uh, you know, then it turned, it wasn't a year too early at all. Not even close. <laughs> hey, these um, things happen. Yeah. Everyone uh, who was really into CeeDee, people were too low on CeeDee. You guys were all just, even though you were insanely high on CeeDee, you were all way, way too low. He, he was the 101 and, and yeah. everyone was too low. Yeah, exactly I, will, exactly. I will say nothing makes me happier than getting yelled at in week four being too low on CD Lamb. I wish I could just take this. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's an L. That's an L. We're all willing to take. <laughs> yeah, here's take the L for you. <laughs> take the L. Speaking of L's, uh, Thursday night football. We have the Jaguars visiting the Bengals as seven and a half point underdogs. There's basically no light shining into the tunnel right now for the Jags, but. James Robinson has seen his weekly touch totals go from 8 to 14 to 21. Uh, even as a snap percentage dropped from 73 uh, in week two to 59 in week three. Crane, with James Robinson, are you, is he back in the top 20 at running back? Are there any kind of like final hurdles for him to clear, you know, in this very strange offense, this very strange backfield? No, I'm, I'm in on James Robinson. I, I mean, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. So, like, you know. I'm going to be kind of on the back end of that ranking, but uh, Jacksonville is third in adjusted line yards. That's a run blocking metric. It's like the one thing they do well is run block. So if he was ever in a situation where they could get rolling downhill a little bit, then, you know, he could have a big week and he also gets passing game usage. So Robinson does have a pretty decent setup. 
The Bengals have been super run heavy, so maybe this game is closer than it really ought to be, in which case, you know, you could have a decent week from James Robinson. Anyone, who else? Is anyone back on the James Robinson train? Like uh, any DFS juice here? Is he still going to be underpriced in DFS? Uh, like the, the back end of the RB2 ranks are just so bad that I kind of feel like maybe James Robinson, we got to like hike him up in the ranks earlier than we otherwise uh, would have liked to, but uh, someone make someone make a case for the, the guy, folks. Uh, yeah, John, I think, Kyle. I think you hit on like I guess what makes me not as excited about Robinson is that yeah, he probably is like top twenty, but the back end of the twenty is like oh, he's better than Miles Gaskin. Oh, yeah. Miles Sanders got <laughs> what like four carries? There's like two carries last two. week. He, maybe he's better than than that guy given how that offense looks. It's not saying a lot to have him as the RB nineteen. I don't think you're excited to play any of those guys. And this team, they hardly get to the red zone because they're a very bad-looking team, but they're not running a lot in the red zone. They have five red zone carries as a team, not just not just James Robinson, but as a team. James Robinson has three of those red zone carries. So I think his touchdown potential seems pretty limited, not because he's not the goal line back. He's out carrying the rest of his team three to two, his other running back three to one. Uh, I think that makes sense, but it doesn't matter if they're not getting there and they're not running. So yeah, RB 18, 19, 20, 21, anywhere in that range, sure, but that doesn't say a lot right now, does it? No. We're just bullish on his usage the past two games. 80% of the team's backfield touches 35 in that span and has outcarried Carlos Hyde 26 to 10 as well in that stretch. This is also a game we're looking at negative game script, which is not going to be high. It's going to be in favor of Robinson. So the Jaguars have allowed at least 23 points, at least three scores, and every game going all the way back to week two last year have missed the most tackles in the NFL this year and have allowed the third most completed air yards to this point, despite trading last year's number nine overall pick CJ Henderson for a seventh round pick just a year later to start (laughs) this week. So no matter what happens, and we'll talk about the Bengals offense in depth here in a second, but we know they're going to put up points at home. Hence why they are also over a one score favorite because it's just a favorable spot for them. It's probably enough about the Jags backfield. For the record, I have James Robinson as the RB18. And also for the record, Kyle's right. I was looking at it and like, yeah, this isn't really, this is kind of damning with faint praise here. Uh, like, isn't this amazing? He's the RB18. You know, sure, Peyton Barber is the RB19, but I think this is a big deal for James Robinson. Uh, That's, you should just have 19 blank. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. 20 blank and have yeah. Barber 21. You can't. I record, he's say, not my RB19 for the record. I was going to say, let's just stop ranking guys at RB19. As, After that, you're on your own. Get out of as here. As we can all attest who have done rankings behind the scenes in premium, uh, the RB13 through infinite this week is an absolute disaster. It's bad. Uh, so the Jaguars pass catcher is also absolute disaster for LaVisca Chenault. Is someone we were all also very high on. He is not CD Lambing. Uh, is LaVisca Chenault trending towards droppable, Kyle? Or, I mean, are there any positive indicators here with someone we all love? I, I don't know, man, that he, we think he's good is the positive indicator that you're holding on to him because despite how he's being used, uh, you know, this this feels like it qualifies out of the week. Among 44 wide receivers and tight ends, see at least 20 plus targets. He is last in air yard share and he's <laughs> last by over 8%. He is <laughs> He is like at 8%. He is having the next guy who's Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro looks back from six yards down the field and sees in the deep, deep distance behind the line of scrimmage, LaVisca Chenault. He, they're just using, like he's got an ADOT that is not far off. It's within a yard of like J.D. McKissick and James White. So we hold we, we huddle because I think he should be one of the better talents among the young potential breakout receivers. But you're just holding on the off chance that that they 
decide to wisen up and use him farther down the field like he's not a running back, you're not holding him because of how the first three weeks have gone or even hardly under any underlying uses metrics. I hope that's not how you treat someone you love, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> there's, Sorry. Some, there's some strong underlying usage metrics, actually. He's running around on 80% of dropbacks. He's 85% of his routes are from the slot. So, yes, he has an 8 out of 5, but he's he's a slot receiver. He's getting targeted on 20% of his routes. That's pretty good. He's got a yards per target of 4.8. Yards per target is not sticky. It's not what we want. Yeah, I mean, yards per... Honest, honestly, in the first few weeks of the season, I go through and I look for the bad yards per targets, and that's... I want the bad yards per targets because yards per target is not something that's going to stick unless the guy's really bad. So, like, if Visca ends up just being bad at football, then he's not going to bounce back. But the underlying metrics in terms of opportunity are actually pretty solid. The ADOT is not where we want it. But we're excited about Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore has the exact same ADOT. He's got the exact same role. It's just in the Cardinals' offense, not the Jaguars' offense. So he needs the offense to pick up, and then he needs some positive regression in his yards per target. And don't drop Chenault also 98 routes and 95 yards on those routes, hence the why the ADOT has sunk them. Uh, you're betting on talent, but also you're betting on Urban Meyer in that case. So I am not doing that. Not <laughs> dropping them just yet, but as I've told people this week, I would like to see Chenault against the Bengals. Like that's, I just want to see him. I'm not starting him uh, as the poor man's version of Jalen Waddle so far on the season, but I would like to hold on to him at least for this week, and then let's go from there. You're basically betting on like a 2020 like Debo Samuel. It's kind of the usage you were describing, like so close to the line of scrimmage for like a guy who should be a yak monster. And by the way, I mean, you know who needs to bet on Urban Meyer? I think is Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer needs to kind of like take the reins from Daryl Bevel. And like I know he probably he likes being like the CEO type coach at this point in his career, but like to save this Jags team, I mean, Urban Meyer is we've been making fun of him all year. He is a football genius. I'd like to save this team. He kind of needs to go like full dictator and I'd take really over like the him offense. To show some of that genius soon. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice uh, for a football genius. He really sucks. <laughs> for, you know, okay, <laughs> so tell me this: Would a football genius uh, not trade for Dan Arnold? Because that's what he did. We love Dan Arnold. We got some Dan Arnold sickos here. Are we rostering Dan Arnold in any twelve-team leagues after his trade to the Jaguars? I would at least want to see what he does first, but I, I'm open to the idea because he's been like a pretty high, like a high yards per target, yards per catch guy in the past few years. It's like he's athletic for a tight end. He could draw some targets. I, I'm just not rushing out to get him. You can certainly add him in like your deeper leagues. I don't mind him. Like I, I just think uh, it's probably a player who I'm just at least waiting to see what we get first. He was ranked in the waiver wire column for targets per game with Carolina. And we have seen that Jacksonville week one fed James O'Shaughnessy eight targets. Week three made Jacob Hollister available and active in that game and gave him six targets. So basically they are feeding the tight end unless your name is Luke Farrell, who was only available in week two. So that's why you're chasing him, knowing he's a receiving tight end. Now, if he's going to be active this game in such a short turnaround, I don't know. But it's someone that I don't mind being the head of on the back of your bench. We see that Dalton Schultz is like the tight end five this year. Dawson Knox is the top ten option. <laughs> it doesn't matter behind Travis Kelsey. Just just play somebody. It's, all, mean, it's all lottery. If you think RB18 is bad, check out tight end 18 is all I can say. Check out so, tight end eight. Yeah, good point. <laughs> so Dan Arnold, worth the flyer in my opinion. Uh, quick thoughts on the Bengals. Anybody I mean seven and a half point home favorites? We know Joe Mixon's going to be established. We don't know T. Higgins' status. He didn't practice on Tuesday. Any quick Bengals thoughts from anyone? Yeah, they're last in the league in pass rate over expected. They're last in the league in situation neutral pass rate. 
problem, problem in pass rate over expected on first and ten. So they're not they're just like overly protecting Joe Burrow right now, I think. Like it's one thing to be run heavy, but in situations where if you're gonna kinda work Burrow back to where we think they're planning to get to, like first and ten would be a perfect spot. Situation neutral would be perfect spot to start throwing a bit more. They it would make a lot of sense for them to do that here against this Jacksonville defense. But I don't know, it's just kind of a leap of faith to hope that this is the week. Well, also if they don't do it in this spot they will be three and one most likely. And I don't think they get to that spot if they're three and one, because then the way Zach Taylor thinks is like a typical football guy. And he's going to think, well, running the ball at this rate clearly helps us win. So I still am skeptical, but the good news is the Bengals target tree, as we expected was just vanilla without T Higgins who didn't practice on Tuesday, Tyler Boyd and Jamar chase were the only players to see more than two targets last week, even though Burrow did only throw 18 pass attempts. And I would just expect that to continue. They both become very obvious starts. We don't have to sacrifice one to the fantasy gods when all three are healthy. So just two of them, we know who to play pretty easy. Zach Taylor about to match his win total from his first two seasons as Bengals coach. Uh, through the first four That's games. incredible. I said, that as, I said that as a joke, but I actually think it is true. Uh, so maybe double check that. I but think he has six wins in the first two seasons. I okay. could be wrong with that number. He's getting close. He's getting close. Okay. The one and two Chiefs head to Philadelphia as modest seven-point favorites. Deggle, does that feel light to you? And just what do we need to see from Kansas City this week? All the fantasy intrigue really is on the Eagles' side in this game, but this with the Chiefs, like real-life football – what do we need to see? Because even if things have kind of gone haywire for the Chiefs, it feels like things are mostly as they should be in fantasy. Am I mistaken? Everything is good. Uh, scored at least 33 points in their first two games and would have reached that mark against the Chargers this past week if it were not for losing three fumbles. So honestly, we saw the Eagles get dominated uh, this past week. And then also, it would have been better had they played a better offense than the 49ers, who, of course, Garoppolo, we know, had a turnover in that game, just 6.2 yards per attempt in week two. So I generally don't think there's a holdup. I am... I wouldn't say concerned because you're never going to bench Tyreek Hill. And if you do, that's a donkey move. So I don't want to hear excuses. But I genuinely think he was, as someone who watched that game, limping around last week. So like the 16% target share he had, the seven targets. And I know that still was a, a team high last week. Or I'm sorry, it was behind Travis Kelsey's 11. But overall, like I think he was actually somewhat injured in that game. So it's something I would like to at least look for. Having said that, again, you're not going to bench him. Corrine, what, what, where are we at on the Chiefs right now? I mean, I feel like they'll get it in gear in real life. And I mean, what, is, what is out of place in fantasy? I just – Daggle handed the, – the Tyreek Hill usage kind of out of place the past two weeks. Maybe it's because of defensive attention. Maybe it's because he's gimpy with something. But, yeah, I mean, what is your take on the Chiefs, Pat? Yeah, they need a better counterpunch, you know, when teams are just saying beat us with anyone but Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But Mahomes is quarterback four in EPA per play. He's quarterback eight. Incompletion percentage over expected. So, I mean, he's playing really good. Um, and the Eagles, I think, were a little bit overrated as a pass defense heading into Monday night. You know, just look at the numbers. Uh, they had gone against Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, then they get uh, the Cowboys, and they were 22nd in expected points allowed per drop back in week three. So going against the Chiefs, I think this could be a, a pretty nice spot for the Chiefs offense against, a, you know, a defense that's not that great against the pass. I've generated two pressures against Matt Ryan this year. So uh, kind of a highlight of my life, even though everyone's doing it. A 30 and a half team total for the Chiefs is offensive. 
It is. I mean, is seven points offensive too? I mean, only seven point favorites. I mean, I know it's the road. I know they're struggling, but my God, I mean, I feel like this should be like a 10 and a half point spread based on what we saw from the Eagles on Monday. Just kind of like blatant disrespect of the Chiefs, I feel like. I was going to say another point I was making ad nauseum all offseason was I felt like it was ridiculous to say a team that had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey needed a third weapon, like badly needed a third weapon. But as you guys said, I feel like that has manifested itself greatly. They just can't, other than their two all-world guys, they can't get anyone else to create instant offense. CEH cannot do it. Michael Hardman kind of did it on a week two like jet sweep, but I think they agreed with me since they're the latest team to take the Josh Gordon plunge. Uh, do we even mention Josh? I mean, are we really going to do this again? Does anyone have a Josh Gordon take other than well, not can't, he's not going to be playing this week? So let's see. Not this week. I know we can, we can defer the madness till next week, but I mean, are you guys already secretly planning to, well, let's be real. He's already probably been added. Are you secretly planning to add Josh Gordon though? I insisted that we talk about it on the waiver wire show at uh, halftime Monday Night Football with Daigle. That made uh, Daigle a little grumpy, so I think I'm more check out check out the waiver wire column. I wrote it up accordingly in there. Um, not someone I think we should be targeting. Check it out, uh, Kyle. On the Eagles side of the ball, I'll just be very blunt. I mean, how confident are we that Jalen Hurts can keep this job for 17 games? Uh, it worked out in fantasy, kind of a Monday night, but it is not working out in real life so far. Yeah, that's the problem with Hertz is that uh, no matter win or lose, you should be able to squeak out good games for fantasy purposes. And then one day the rug could just get pulled out from under you after they're, you know, two and nine or whatever. Because they're a, a truly despicable team in terms of the talent they're fielding. So I don't know. Uh, to me, every single game he starts, you're never concerned about him. But he's a player that you have to kind of sleep with one eye open. Keep your mind on the waiver wire looking to potentially stream guys because at any given moment uh, – they're, they're not going to win a lot of games. Even if they play in a relatively weak division, they're not going to be a particularly good football team. And uh, we know that leads to these quarterbacks who teams aren't heavily invested in getting benched, even for guys who have no business taking the, taking the field. So I honestly wouldn't bet on him finishing the season as a starter. I wouldn't bet on him playing the entirety of the season. Maybe he gets benched at some point and then they realize he's still their best option and he comes back. But do I think he plays the entirety of the season? I, I would have to take the under on that. But in the short term, like you yeah, said, yeah. like you said, Kyle, still the QB eleven and yeah. an absolute throttling on Monday night. So if he stays healthy uh, and is available and going to be the starter for as long as that happens, yes, you're probably yep. starting him as a low end QB one. The Chiefs have allowed thirty plus points in every game thus far. So even if it's garbage time, since we have so much faith in the Chiefs' offense, I don't think it matters. Hertz is still a low end QB one. You can have faith in. I'm also skeptical that he doesn't finish the season. I mean, I just, I just don't see the incentive to bench him. They, they spent a second-round pick on him, so the front office presumably would like to see him be in there. If you're looking to trade him and move on at the end of the season, you don't want to bench him. So I think they might just ride it out. He's quarterback 22 in EPA per play. He's not playing great, but he's not atrocious. Like, he's better than some of the guys. He's better than Matt Ryan, you know what I mean? Like, he's better than some of these guys that are, like, we're really, really starting to worry about and have no use for fantasy. So... If he was down there with like Zach Wilson in terms of his efficiency, then they might just have to save face and bench him. But he's not in that kind of true low-tier quarterback play right now. Well, maybe they can have the best of both worlds and they can keep losing and keep good draft position, but he can also like be vaguely promising and not despicable and they can keep him out there. Where, Pat, do you have Miles Sanders ranked both in your rankings right now and in life alert rankings as he only had – what, three carries, I believe it was, Monday night? 
two last I saw, but I'm going to throw it to Pat Corain on this one because he's promised a stat of the week on Miles Sanders. And Pat, I'm hoping you have the answer for what to do with Miles Sanders because uh, I don't. And uh, please tell us what to do. I didn't promise that I would know what to do with Miles Sanders, but I did. uh, This is this is credit goes here to NBC's Ruben Frank because he went back to the 1950s to find out the last time that the Eagles had this few rushing attempts to their running backs. And in 72 years, they've never had less than seven carries to their running backs before Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, they had three. Two of them went to Miles Sanders. Apparently, the seven, by the way, was also in a game against Dallas. So there's something about Dallas that really brings out the passing uh, from the Eagles. But... Yeah, I mean, two attempts. One goes to Kenny Gainwell in, in garbage time. Not great. I don't no. know. Someone else can jump in on what to do with Miles Sanders. <laughs> well, but it's uh, it's it's pretty wild. John, I have him as the RB twenty one. Not even that big of a fade because mm-hmm. I'm gonna bet on his big play upside against the Chiefs over you know Sony Michelle over Peyton Barber over Miles Gaskin Melvin Gordon. Like that's the zone you're in. But I mean, we could be witnessing like the true free free fall of Miles Sanders and. I think the problem is, is coaches don't like Miles Sanders. He plays mistake-filled football. He doesn't have a great vision as a runner. He's just like back-to-back coaching staffs have not been Miles Sanders fans, and that's a huge problem. Because I mean, there's pretty much no way to sugarcoat that workload on Monday night. I mean, there's no justification for it other than they just don't trust him as a football player. Don't think he can be an important part of their offense, and they're trying to figure out what to do because. I mean, just totally baffling otherwise. Because you got a, like a struggling young rookie quarterback. How in the world do you not go to the running back? And it is very, very hard to find positive indicators for Miles Sanders. I mean, Kyle or John, do either of you have any? Nope. No. <laughs> he nope. says no. I, I, I motioned to you if you're not watching live. I motioned. I was like, oh, John looks like he, he'll take this one. He's got some <laughs> yeah, indicators. No. Oh, I no. was going to say. Just uh, drop I mean, him. Just drop him. 11 targets through three weeks. But it's not an incredible target share. Kenneth Gamewell is still seeing targets. It's just the fact that if you're a targeted running back in this backfield, whether or not you're getting all of the backfield targets, they're throwing so much, they're being forced to, that that results in some targets. I guess that gives him some floor. But as we saw last week in week three, I mean, you can only have so much of a floor when your team can give you two carries in a game. So positive indicators. I, I don't feel, uh, you know, the sort of underlying excitement about Miles Sanders that, like, you know, we talked about with LaVisca Chenault, where, like, if things change, if the efficiency flips, yeah, LaVisca Chenault could still get there. I, I don't know, man. Miles Sanders, it does feel like we're entering free fall. Yeah, it's like he handled- Josh Jacobs in a, in a, on an offense that doesn't run the ball. Like, I think Miles <laughs> yeah. Sanders can play. I think Josh Jacobs can play, but it's just yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not a great situation. He was in a he was in a sixty forty timeshare to this point. Uh, handled sixty three percent of Philadelphia's backfield touches the first two weeks. But again, like this isn't a favorable spot for a short short term outlook either, because we're expecting it to be a similar game script to what it looked like against the Cowboys on Monday night. So short term faith, none at all. As we wrap up this game, I mean, is there any consistency hope for Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and? what is kind of a low volume passing offense, but also like kind of a crowded passing offense. I mean, does anyone have any hope right now for Devontae and Dallas Goddard or they guys, we kind of just got to keep holstered for now. I do. I'm not, I wasn't the biggest Devontae Smith guy coming in either, Um, but he's got an ADOT this year of 15.1. 
and he's been targeted on 18% of his routes. That's that's pretty good. His yards per route run stinks. It's at 1.04. That's lower than where Jalen Rager is now. That's lower than he was last year. So not the idea, not the start we wanted from, from Smith. But again, it's the yards per target, 5.8 yards per target, especially with Smith with that high A dot. That can flip in a, in a second. So I'm not that worried about it. The fact that he's getting targeted on 18% of his routes as a true deep threat is actually pretty bullish. So Overall, I think his underlying usage is fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. And then Goddard, he's got two yards per route run. He's one of the few efficient guys. Basically, him and Quez Watkins are the only guys who have been efficient in the passing game this far. Zach Ertz has run more routes, which is really, really bad. But Ertz has a 1.35 yards per route run, which is very poor. So hopefully, they start playing Goddard more and having him run more routes. I don't know. That's you know you gotta you gotta hope the coaches recognize what's going on. But I think over time, if Goddard continues to play a lot better than Ertz, that'll happen. Next, we have the Chicago Bears hosting the Detroit Lions as three-point favorites, even though the Bears are averaging 3.3 yards per play through three games. That is 0.7 fewer yards than any other team. That is less than Seattle's less than half of Seattle's team-leading total like the shockingly bad offense. And we'll begin with Kyle, just like the elephant in the room. Can, is there any chance we're going back to the Justin Fields streaming well this week, or even with that dual threat upside, do we just have to keep Justin Fields on benches and out of DFS lineups? I mean, you could go for it. Yeah, you could really have a good time trying to pick up those rushing yards. I mean, we know there's nothing better than a rushing quarterback. It is the the cheat code that breaks fantasy football. That being said, if they're not going to like try and design an offense around his ability to run, you're losing a lot of that rushing equity. So, I mean, it's a, a far better matchup against uh, against the Lions this week. However, he, he's definitely I was optimistic that he could post low end uh, like QB one number, sort of like we saw in the Jalen Hurts struggle. He can still get there. I'm less optimistic about that. He falls more uh, like now I'm a little more bullish on like the. uh the pure pocket passes, unfortunately, you know, the Derek Carrs, the Kirk Cousins who are looking good despite not adding anything with their legs. I think it kind of flip-flops for me now where I thought just his rushing alone could push him ahead of those guys. Now you can't be as optimistic. He's more of a, a middling, you know, that QB2 range where those guys are still streamable, but they're probably not the priority streamers anymore. I'm still, I'm still trying to stash him where I can, but the thing is stashing quarterbacks, if I don't think they can really become like QB1s, you know, you don't need a roster more than one quarterback in most leagues. So if you have a deep bench, we know he has more upside in a theoretical sense than a lot of quarterbacks who are just going to stay in the pocket, even if they're throwing touchdowns from there. But that's the best I can give you. So there's a theoretical upside. Do I feel confident he attains it this week? You can't feel confident after what he did in week, week uh, three. And we don't know who's starting this game because if Andy Dalton is healthy, he's absolutely starting over Justin Fields, uh, despite being the league's only quarterback who has yet to throw a pass 15 plus yards downfield. Also, why Allen Robinson has 86 yards on 21 targets. And that's why I'm curious to know where you, Pat and Corrine, have him ranked. Because we've seen this before. He can obviously leverage bad quarterback play and still have as much talent and production as anyone else in the league. But it clearly is getting extremely scary. Well, it's like he can leverage bad quarterback play. Can he leverage coaching staff sabotage? Where ESPN charted this last week uh, on there were 30 dropbacks for Justin Fields. Matt Nagy dialed up pre-snap motion on four of them. He max protected twice. He called two designed rollouts. He called two quarterback runs. I mean, basically just trying to make Justin Fields fail. He he if, may he may have rigged that game. He might have rigged it. He really might have loaded the dice. And if 
Justin Fields fails. Allen Robinson fails. And I mean, what, he has 86 yards through three games? I mean, we know, we know, especially in this kind of matchup, an already bad line secondary that's been ravaged by injury. I mean, this is an eruption spot under normal circumstances. But I, for the first time, probably since I've been ranking at NBC, I had to drop Allen Robinson out of the top 24. I have him as the wide receiver 27, right ahead of Marvin Jones, which I mean, Marvin Jones is probably, frankly, a better bet than Allen Robinson. I had a Marquise Brown, you know, a guy with injury question marks, a guy who dropped uh, three touchdowns in week three. Not that we're upset about it at all. Um, but, yeah, just there's too many fires right now for Allen Robinson. When a player is that good, you still give some benefit of the doubt. I still have him in the top 30. But I, I feel like we can no longer give Allen Robinson wide receiver two benefit of the doubt. Can someone explain why would he be sabotaging Justin Fields? Like now that people are calling um, for his job and it's like <laughs> – it does seem like maybe he did that, but what what possible well, reason could there be? If he looks good, Andy Dalton can't start. What aren't you getting here? Yeah, what aren't you getting here? If what, Justin he... Fields plays well, he will be forced to start Justin Fields. What does Andy Dalton you... have on this guy? What, what are you well, saying? Let's not ask too deep it's... into let's not dig too deep into the logic of that way Andy. deeper. You're asking, you're asking the wrong questions. Like, it's not what we think Andy Dalton has on Justin Fields. It's a matter of what Matt Nagy on thinks Fields Andy on Dalton Nagy. has on Justin Fields. He's yeah. got some compromise. It's what Matt Nagy knows Andy Dalton has on him, for one. Uh, this goes way deeper than anyone could ever possibly. No, I mean, it makes no sense. And, but it, it also makes no sense because Denny and I talked about this on Tuesday's pod. They actually did this stuff with Justin Fields in the preseason. So it's not like Matt Nagy doesn't know these concepts exist. Like, they set him up to succeed in the preseason. And... I, I, there's no explanation for letting Miles Garrett sack your rookie quarterback 19 times, and uh, I, 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 like a conspiracy theory to to make Justin Fields look bad makes as much sense as anything else is what it boils down to. Uh, maybe he's like a Manchurian candidate type of thing where someone like someone said the words and he forgot how to coach, but as a way to sabotage. Oh, wait, it would have been Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton Manchurian candidate him into using using Justin Fields as if he's like Matt Ryan or something. Right. Well, because, yeah, the the no pre-snap motion, the no moving out of the pot, like moving the pocket at all. All of that is like directly in conflict with how any layman would tell you how to use Justin Fields. It's direct sabotage. And. This goes deeper than Andy Dalton, by the way. This is to get Nick Foles in the lineup. Uh, so you go, John. No matter what happens under center, though, I do believe we can still have complete confidence in David Montgomery, who we know was in and out of the team's lineup in week one. But the past two games, 30 of the team's 32 running back carries, 35 of 39 backfield touches with an 18% target share, including handling all 100% of those empty touches for the backfield on Sunday. So much easier spot against the Lions. I don't know what's going to come of it. I have no idea what this offense is going to be, whether Andy Dalton's under center or not. But David Montgomery's going to get every single touch. He had an 81% snap rate over the last two weeks, and he was banged up in week one. So the snap rate that he got there is probably uh, you know something we can throw out. And if he had been able to have that 81% snap rate over three weeks, he would have the second highest snap rate in the NFL among running backs. So I agree, David Montgomery's kind of the one guy. So we still trust David Montgomery. Do we trust DeAndre Swift on the other side of the ball as an every week, like top 18, maybe like top 15 guys and touch counts of 19, 12 and 21. You know, a lot of that's been because of like bad game flows. I mean, that, that's not going anywhere for the lions. Is it, can we find, or the basically the rosy summer expectations, John for DeAndre Swift coming to fruition as a guy we can like, kind of like let our guard down with and finally just like be really excited about every week. He's pretty much a player you don't ever watch because it's not going to happen until the second half whenever the Lions are trailing. <laughs> but 
They're passing the ball at the league's eighth highest rate when they trail. And Detroit's backfield actually leads the league in target share at 33% among that unit. So yeah, you continue playing him. And again, don't watch the games, but you can almost trust him to get there since it's a bet against the Lions organization, which is a safe bet to make every single week. Of our entire lives. And the one Lion we do like other than DeAndre Swift has been TJ Hawkinson. But I I was saying last week, uh, that it was kind of like the final test for TJ Hawkinson. Teams already knew that TJ Hawkinson was the Lions' primary weapon, but then like he vividly demonstrated that in weeks one and two against a smart, well-coached defense in the Ravens, even one that had gotten dominated by tight ends in weeks one and two. I felt he like really needed to have a big game to kind of lock himself into like that every week, top four or five, is a guy who's officially getting game-planned for, and he got game-planned right out of the game by the Ravens. He had two catches, two targets – is that a fear for TJ Hawkinson just getting taken away um, by teams since there's no receiving threat for the Lions? Or do we can we pretty safely leave TJ Hawkinson in the top five? Both. I, yeah, <laughs> Both. That's, that's exactly the answer, right? That's exactly the answer. Is had you said top three or had you said a tier one guy, I would have been you know, laughing. No, because his weighted opportunity rating, a mix of air yards and target share, is 0.02 higher than Kyle Pitts. His target share is like three higher than Kyle Pitts. A guy none of us, all of us are super disappointed in. It's just that he had the, you know, the week one explosion for TJ Hawkinson. So I would say, yeah, you can put him in the top five, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. As we said, once you get to the tight end eight, you're you know, just closing your eyes and throwing darts. I just think it's the the underlying volume metrics that say he is not a mega elite guy. He's a top five guy, but uh, you know he's not going to push for a twenty five percent target share. At least he hasn't through three weeks. I'm not sure if we're going to see that from him because he hasn't done that to this point in his career. So top five is fine. You're definitely not benching him. You obviously have not picked up anyone better, but that doesn't mean you're really like you're just excited to get T.J. Hawkinson in your lineups. Of course, you're still starting him like with complete confidence. Like Kyle Pitts has 11 catches through 130 for 139 yards on elite usage through three games, and he's still the tight end nine in PPR leagues because it doesn't matter. So yeah, of course you're still starting Hawkinson, uh, who I actually have more faith in than Pitts because it's not even a bet on Pitts' talent. You're betting with Arthur Smith, and after four ga- after three games, I don't want to do that. So I'd much rather be betting on the Lions just being bad every week. Yeah, and the thing I like about the Lions when they're bad is that they're not packing up and going home. They're not running the ball and, you know, kind of leaving with their heads held high like we were. (laughs) They're trying to win these games. It's so Dan Campbell. It's great. I'm I'm very happy. They're the fun, bad team. And I'm actually very excited about Swift in particular. He has a 2.13 yards per route run, which is elite. That's like a, a very, very good wide receiver mark from a running back. And no one's gonna be, no one's gonna take away DeAndre Swift. They're gonna be happy to have the checkdowns. Like they're not scheming to take away him, like they might to take away Hawkinson. So I think to be there all year for Swift, like, and the talent is there too. With you know, which is what the yards per out run really shows. I think so. I put him up into the first round of my dynasty ranks this week. He, I have an 11 overall right now. Like, it's it's kind of all there for DeAndre Swift for the rest of the year and for beyond the year, I think. I'm, I'm excited about what we're seeing here. It's so true, though, Corrine, because teams take on the personalities of their head coaches, uh, hence why the Giants are just a bunch of donkeys. But for the Lions, they genuinely don't give up. They have been a threat to backdoor cover, even in their blowouts against the 49ers and the Packers. They play to the very last whistle, and that's why we continue playing these guys, because of their pass rate in when trailing, because they genuinely just don't pack it in ever. Yep. And Anthony Lynn, I think his guys were playing hard for him. So I think I think it's going to keep happening. 
Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off NBC Sports Edge Plus at NBCSportsEdge.com slash win. The one and two Seattle Seahawks visit San Francisco, in my opinion, as surprising two and a half point underdogs. And I'm just going to get right to it, John. I'm going to ask you a very stupid question. Uh, The stupidest question I hope to ask on the podcast all year. Uh, Are the Seahawks too efficient? They are averaging 7.4 yards per play. That is 0.6 more than any other team. They are scoring so quickly that they are dead last in time of possession. Their defense is never not on the field. Their defense is getting exposed. Uh, and they're one and two. The Seahawks have only have one turnover all year, by the way. Like they're playing offense basically as well as humanly possible, and they are somehow one and two. And we know they're not actually too efficient. But John, just what the heck is going on with the Seahawks? How is this team one and two? It's what we mentioned last week. They're genuinely too good. Not their defense, <laughs> but they're. So it offense. wasn't a dumb question. They are actually too good. They literally are too good. Uh, even beyond your stats, you mentioned Russell Wilson leads the league with 10.4 yards per attempt. And the Seahawks, like you said, have averaged seven yards per play in every single game so far. The issue is. Every team now knows they can move the ball against the Seahawks on the ground with ease. And this goes beyond Derrick Henry's and Alexander Madison's big games the past two weeks. Even look back to week one against Carson Wentz and the Colts running backs totaled 198 yards in the season opener. So we know the 49ers, a run-heavy team, will do just that as well as they are a top 10 in that in that metric and neutral game script. So I think no matter who is available for the 49ers in the backfield, that's going to be their approach in this game. And then we're going to see what happens since Garoppolo has been bad the past two weeks, uh, 6.2 yards per attempt in both those games, a turnover, at least one in every start so far. I don't know when we see Lance, but you would have to think it continues to get closer with every game we see Garoppolo play. John, you made a great point there with the 49ers running backs. We're going to want whoever it is out there, but it's Wednesday afternoon. We just don't know yet. I mean, we might not know until Sunday morning. It's such a crazy, chaotic situation. But whoever it looks like has emerged as the leader is going to have serious RB2 juice for this game. And, Kyle, I'll go back to you as the quarterback bencher. John alluded to it. How many more starts for Jimmy Garoppolo? Because – This is a guy, he had like the whole, you know, everyone live tweeting Sunday Night Football was groaning about Jimmy Garoppolo the entire game last week. How much longer can he maintain his grip on this job? Yeah, they had an easier start season opening up the Lions. And I think their schedule, I know, I mean, obviously this week it's going to be a little bit harder than the Lions. Uh, So, yeah, I think as the schedule gets harder, Garoppolo's flaws will continue to get exposed. He's just, uh, you know, he's like a cardboard cutout of a quarterback. He can do some of the basic stuff when you ask him to do anything above average, when you ask him to make big time throws. If he has to cut down on mistakes, like, you know, Daigle said, he's got turnover in every game. It's just, uh, I think the more they get into, especially their uh, their division plays, they play in maybe the best division, if not at least one of the two or three best divisions, uh, it's going to be difficult for them to keep playing him. I would say he's still probably got three or four weeks, maybe. Like, I, I guess if I set the under, under, over under three and a half weeks. Uh, oh, I see a two. I see a two. Uh, the bye day. week, week two six weeks. is what we've we've targeted it since April. The bye week, week mm-hmm. six, that was the plan. So two more weeks. Losses to Seattle and Arizona, then they head into their bye. That's when Trey Lance happens. I like it. I think it could be as early as this weekend. I mean, he had to be seeing the same thing we were seeing. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those rare football players that he just like makes you angry 
watching him. And you have to be kind of good for that to be the case. You don't get angry at like obviously bad players. Like he's just good enough to be competent, but then like he just sabotages it always. Like, so you get angry watching Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm assuming Kyle Shanahan's angry. I, I think we might get the benching as soon as this weekend, folks. If I will say for the backfield, if Elijah Mitchell, who was limited on Wednesday, again, like you said, Pat, we have to wait till the weekend really, or the final injury report on Friday to find out. But if he's healthy, recall he had 38 touches in their first two games. I'm starting him um, over the other fringe RB2 options for sure. Whereas with Trey Sermon, like Kyle Juszczyk has been in the league for nine years and had a career high nine touches on Sunday. Like that's how their backfield works whenever Elijah Mitchell or Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson is not available. So uh, if Mitchell plays, I'm going back to him with confidence. On the in the 49ers pass catching core, like is George Kittle finally thawing? We finally got a little better usage from him last week. Uh, played 16 snaps in the slot. That was five more than the week prior Played six snaps outside. That was five more than the week prior. Uh, his inline snaps declined from 57 to 42, even though the 49ers ran the same overall number of plays at 70. He ran 41 routes after the previous week. And, you know, he did all this and, of course, caught seven balls for 92 yards and looked like a monster. Uh, did we find – did we see enough from George Kittle to kind of declare his weeks one and two slump over? Or are we just going to keep getting, like, this weirdness from Kyle Shanahan? To me, it's the pass attempts. I mean, we did see some weirdness where he had a, a negative two A dot in week two, but you know, last week uh, back up to eight point two. Uh, the week before, he was he was at five point six uh, back in week one. So this was the first week that he was kind of deployed, like more like we're used to, a little bit further downfield. That was nice to see. But otherwise, yeah, he got targeted a little bit more. But I think you know, we just need volume out of this offense. Uh, he's been very efficient. 2.56 yards per route run this week. He's over two for the season. That's what George Kittle does. He's a hyper-efficient player. Uh, we just need them to have some more pass attempts. I think we're going to get it this week, hopefully, if the Seahawks you know, push them a little bit. Um, and then I think Arizona definitely will the following week. So the next two weeks, I think, do set up pretty well for George Kittle. I guess um, Seattle, I'm a little bit less bullish on their offense than you guys. Like I don't think they've been too good. I think they've You're got canceled. some room to You're improve. Canceled. Uh, Wilson's 12th in EPA per play, which is which is good, but they they had trouble sustaining drives in the second half against the Titans. That's why the Titans came roaring back, not because they hit big plays. I, in my opinion, I mean, I want big plays plus sustained drives. They're not they're not delivering both right now. Um, they're 11th in pass rate over expectation, not terrible, but they're 19th in situation neutral pass rate. So. I, I'd like to see Seattle pass the ball a little bit more. If they do in this one, they can push San Francisco and maybe we get another big Kittle game. Yeah, per, per ETR's uh, Pat Thorman, they're also just playing just god-awfully slow, uh, you know, with a lead or not. It's, it's you know, situation neutral seconds per snap. Last week was over 33 seconds, and it's gone down every single week. The rate at which they ran no huddle in week three was 6%. They just, their whole philosophy is designed to play boring football, even if Russell Wilson is doing everything in his God-given power to make them exciting on the limited play volume they get. And to me, there's always the chance that Russell Wilson regresses from being one of the most efficient quarterbacks, maybe a top eight quarterback, as we can see just efficiency fluctuates year to year, game to game. But I do think the speed is intentional and will be much easier to sustain, even if it's to their own detriment, which is pretty obviously true. So I'm concerned that if there are weeks, I mean, we saw it, we've seen it as like saw it against the Vikings. If they, if they just, you know, stall out some drives, their team is not going to get as many drives. They're going to play slow and give the ball up. So I, I kind of fall on Crane's side where I, 
you're not like benching Russell Wilson, but you're a little more frustrated by this than uh, I think uh, maybe the initial numbers show. Well, they don't just play slow. As John said, they also then allow the other team to have monster yeah, yeah. long drives. Um, I'm kind of disappointed. John and I scientifically proved the Seahawks offense had just been too good. And you guys kind of poked some holes in it. Um, I so. mean, the Vikings, you know, we'll talk about them in a second, but they had, it was done with ease. It was a masterpiece because they knew they didn't have to throw the ball. They could literally own the football and just get down without even trying. Like it was a disaster on Sunday. Putting a bow on this but game. Then play quick and score more points if you're the Seahawks. That's not like, how the NFL you know, thinks. That's no, not how Chris. No. That, that's not how Pete Carroll thinks, though. Yeah, I know it's no, no. not. But so I, it's so not I, the right. No, no, they need less time of possession and fewer oh, drives. In, in our YouTube chat, actually, Pete underscore Carroll in the chat just left. He just said, "I'm leaving," and left <laughs> after Craney said that. That's, that's pretty strange. Good <laughs> as we as we put a bow on this game, any Brandon Ayuk thoughts? He he kind of also came back to life last week. Crane. I mean, it's really just as simple as the pass attempts. Um, he. Is, Similar with Ayuk. Uh, Ayuk. I'm not sure he's still fully healthy. He had 0.95 yards per hour run even last week. That was that was his good game. So I'm still not ready to fully trust him. I, I wouldn't mind trying to be a week ahead early a week early in DFS, but like for season long stuff, like I'm still a little bit skeptical that, that he's all the way back. I, I think the Brandon Ayuk stat of the week is that Trent Churfield played two snaps. That's all you need oh, to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, that's that's what I was a little more. I'm not again. It's hard to say with at any given time which players are healthier more or less. But he only ran three fewer routes than Debo Samuel, and and Trent Sherfields weren't even routes. They he literally didn't run any routes. They were just empty snaps. I assume on rushing downs or maybe he's blocking or something. So, yeah, I don't think he's in the doghouse anymore. But exactly, I'm still... that's that's what you need. That's why I'm comfortable being a week early, even if he's not healthy, as yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think well, you want kind of you want it to be like a big leverage spot, like in a GPP rather. Like in, if I've got. A coin flip option in a season-long league, I'm going to start the other guy. Sure. According, you just spread fake news, because according to Kyle Shannon, he was never in the doghouse. And despite his sure 1,000 different explanations for why he didn't play. Um, but anyways, he's back to his normal usage. Brandon Ayuk, we love you. We're counting on you. John mentioned the Vikings. They host the Browns as two-point dogs this week, even as you know they're operating as one of the league's best offenses mm-hmm. through three games. A lot of increased uh, pass attempts. We th- I thought maybe Mike Zimmer would try to throw the car into reverse this season. Hasn't been able to do that because re- the defense hasn't progressed as expected. Kyle, is there any way these attempts can keep up for Kirk Cousins? And what's the week for Kirk Cousins' outlook? Yeah, I mean, I think the attempts keep up because this team is 31st in yards per play allowed. They are a bad defense. No one is going to have have trouble moving the ball on them. And then the Kirk is unleashed. That's how it happens. Even if they, you know, they are so incredibly forced into a corner to attempt to score points that they're finally showing us Kirk Cousins is, is he pretty, he's not super mega elite. He's a pretty efficient quarterback. It especially helps when you have maybe the league's best young receiver in Justin Jefferson, one of the league's best red zone weapons in Adam Thielen. So I think uh, they still might not, you know, lead the league in pass attempts, but given the defense is like somehow worse than they were last year, yeah. uh, you know, given that they're somehow worse, we're seeing sort of Zimmer's hands tied and he, he is just saying, well, the, he's not terrible enough in terms of run pass split that he's willing to say I'm giving up the game by running our running back 30 times despite us losing. He's at least you know smart enough to realize that you got a good quarterback. You should probably be using him. So yeah, I think the numbers you know maybe are a little bit above expectation, but I don't see how this defense gets any better to allow the passing numbers to come back to where they were last year. So I think this should be at least a career high in pass times for Kirk Cousins in his Vikings tenure. And there are a lot of people I respect on the under in this game 
but I'm going to combat them and trust my read because the Browns allowed six and a half yards per play against Kansas City in week one and seven yards per play to the Tyra Taylor-led Texans in the first two quarters of week two. Since then, of course, it's Davis Mills, three and a half yards per play, and then Matt Nagy's tank job we mentioned against <laughs> Justin Fields last week. So I'm still very skeptical about the Browns' defense in a tremendous spot after everyone is, in my opinion, too high on them because of what they were able to do to crater the pocket against an uncreative offense. Meanwhile, Kirk Cousins, like Kyle mentioned, top seven in pass attempts with the fourth highest completion percentage in the NFL. Some of that is due in part because he's just not throwing deep, but they don't need to whenever they just move the chains with ease. So I genuinely love both offenses and the over in this game. Kyle, I never want to hear the phrase, the Kirk again, ever. Um, you'll be fired if I hear that. What are we thinking? Again. Like like King Kirk, the the big the big kahuna? I mean, we've got to give him a, a pretty respectable nickname. He's How like, does he consistently get the worst ever nicknames? It is kind of a superpower of his. But uh, sorry, Patrick Crane. Uh, give, give us the Vikings uh, dope here. Zimmer has been fighting this every step of the way. Yes. They're 26th mm-hmm. in pass rate over expected. They're 21st in situation neutral pass rate. They're 25th in situation neutral seconds per play. They're, so they've been slow. They've been as run-heavy as the game script will allow. He's not going to completely throw away the game to Daigle's point, but he would really like to run the ball more. Cleveland may be inclined to let him do that because they're uh, 26th in situation neutral run uh, pass rate. So they're also extremely run-heavy this year. Not what we expected from Cleveland coming in. We thought they might be pass-heavy, but that's not the way they've played it. So I think the under could come in here if both teams are able to just do what they want. It's kind of a handshake agreement here of we're going to run the we're going to run the ball a ton. <laughs> Cleveland 26th in situation neutral seconds per play. So another slow run heavy team. You could get both guys with smiles on their faces as they, you know, race to see who can score 10 points first. So, you know, I, I think uh I think the under could be could be Bleak. play. Bleak. This does have the, the there is a very real chance you turn on the game and you're like, "Oh, it's Saturday. Big 10 football's on." <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, you know, Baker Bayfield's played pretty well. You've got Odell Beckham uh, played pretty well in his return. Uh, there's a case that, you know, the reason Seattle or the reason uh, Cleveland has been so run heavy has been matchups based. Um, even in week one, they were clearly, you know, trying to play keep away from Patrick Mahomes. So maybe they take a different approach and they go pass heavy and they push the Vikings yet again. But I, I think a lot of it comes down to how Cleveland wants to play this because we know Zimmer wants to play this run heavy. So I should have done this last week as the only person who was down on fields across the world. Uh, we sh- I'll do this this week, Corrine. We are betting dinner. We are betting a tab on this because I want 51 and a half over. Believing in what you say, but also understanding there's a reason why Kirk Cousins has multiple touchdown passes in 11 of his last 12 games. Because no matter what Zimmer wants to do, the defense is too bad to do that. So I believe it's going to blow up. Do you okay, want this I'll, bet? I'll, I'll, I'll bet dinner on the over. I mean... I can't imagine Kirk letting you down in a big spot, Dave. That's never <laughs> happened before. Kirk Cousins, has been awesome. Kirk, Cousins, Kirk Cousins watching the show just post the, the uh, Jordan Peele sweating meme. He's like, oh, no, Daigle's got this one on me. <laughs> yeah, Kirk, Kirk right. Cousins no, is watching Matt like Ryan it. Red Zone film right now. How do I turn this ball over this weekend? Uh, how do we do this, folks? Um, but, but the whole point of this podcast, by the way, is to talk about like sicko tight end twos. Uh, is this Tyler Conklin, is, is this tight end too? Is, is he got some life here, folks? Are, are we are we buying into Tyler Conklin? And who's the Vikings' number three weapon? Is it KJ Osborne or is it Tyler Conklin? 
I think that's why it's acceptable to buy into him as a, as a tight end too. Because like, does KJ Osborne really profile as a guy who's like locked in number three when you're not when your top two options aren't available? You're looking at KJ Osborne. Probably not. Like he was an impressive college prospect. He didn't do anything as a rookie. Uh, you know, he had a good run to start the season. But I don't think he's enough where you can lock him in for six, seven targets every week. Assuming you know that that would be on their play volume as we saw through three weeks. Now, does that mean Tyler Conklin is also that player that can lock down six, seven targets a week? No, but there aren't many tight ends that can do that. So sure, I think he falls above like the Dan Arnold range where I'm comfortable. Like I guess if you have to, sure, start start Tyler Conklin. Just don't expect him to to produce like he did last week every week. But the passing volume here has been enough so far, and the defense is so bad that there's room for a third pass catching option every week. It'll be unpredictable, but tight end is inherently unpredictable outside of the top five. So tight end too, yeah, it's not a high bar to clear. And Conklin in a, an efficient passing offense, he can do it. That's just it. Uh, the Colts and Titans uh, had the teams the Vikings played, uh, or not the Vikings. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, Tyler Conklin had seven catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown on a 21% target share against the Seahawks. But to that point, the Seahawks defense had played the Colts and Titans, who had only targeted their tight ends at a 17% target share. So we knew something was a little off, and it was a game we were on the over against the Cardinals anyhow. So it makes sense to target like the lowly options, but behind the scenes, the usage for Tyler Conklin didn't change at all. Uh, ran around on 62 and a half percent of Kirk Cousins dropbacks, whereas his first two games ran around on 63%. So I think it's more whack-a-mole. It's a guessing game between who spikes the team's third receiver between KJ Osborne and Conklin every week. Having said that, it's the same situation. So of course Conklin can be just fine, but a consistent dependent option. No, no. Dagle, I want to stay with you to wrap up this game real quick. Is Odell Beckham, fact or fiction, a top 24 wide receiver, a wide receiver two from here on out? I don't know from here on out, but in this game that is going over, yes, I believe so. <laughs> uh, it's not even really the fact that he played, like, he was 68% of his snaps, whatever, um, ran around on 85% of Baker's dropbacks. It's more to the point that they used him in an end around early in the game and then also gave him a deep target inside the five. They weren't scared to use him as a versatile piece all over the field, and that's what we're banking on here. Also, the team high, 29% target share. So in this favorable spot, yeah, I think he's an awesome player. Yeah, just to add some more color to this, he saw nearly half of his team's air yards. Like, without having any other reliable receiving options, he will have such a large share of what we think is probably a small pie that, yeah, top 24, I think, is probably right around his range. And in games, especially if you're betting over here, but in games that generally just should feature a a requisite amount of points where the Browns aren't able to run the ball 40 times in a game or whatever they would choose to do if they could, yeah, you're definitely starting Otto Beckham as a top 24 in those games specifically. 16.2 16.2 ADOT got targeted on 26% of his routes. That's elite. And the nice thing about the high ADOT is even if this game goes under, as it will, Daigle, thank you for dinner, then he can still get there because it only takes a few plays. Oh, you heard it there. We're uh, sort of in alignment on Odo Beckham, even though we are not in alignment. on The, the hottest button question of the week, everyone's going to ask me, will this Browns-Vikings game go over? And we finally have gotten an answer for it. And we will be right back. The NFL season is in full swing and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered. With Sunday Night 7, predict what will happen on Sunday Night Football for a chance to win up to $100,000 every week. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Guys, we saved the best for last. Uh, We end with the Dolphins hosting the Colts as two-point favorites. 
Uh, so far, the Dolphins are the only team rivaling the Bears when it comes to offensive ineptitude, averaging four yards per play. Uh, they got a really crowded uh, receiver group. They got a really crowded backfield. We'll start with the pass catchers, Crane. Are just any of these guys we can trust? Because they're all kind of like in the wide receiver four mix, but there's just like no separation. And who this focusing, I guess, on week four, which Dolphins pass catcher are you most comfortable betting on? Jalen Waddle. Uh, we've got Will Fuller banged up. Um, so right there, you're, you're a little bit worried about him. What we've seen from Waddle over the last few weeks is high target volume on a very low average depth of target. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the LaVisca Chenault thing, right, where it's going to limit the upside a little bit if he's getting targeted super shallowly. And uh, the dot for the season now is at 3.7, uh, so even lower than where Chenault is. But he's got a 23% target share, been targeted on 21% of his routes. Um, the yards per target isn't quite where we want it to be, but that's something I'm, I'm willing to bet on to regress in a positive direction. The other thing about Miami in this matchup is that I'm thinking they might be able to get the, the running game established a little bit more. If they do, like they did in week one, and they have not done the past two weeks, then we might start to see play action a little bit more. You know, a lot of teams, they won't do a ton of play action unless the running game's working, which you don't actually need to do, but a lot of teams will do that. So if the play action game's getting going, then you could see Waddle use like he was in week one where he had an eight out of 10. So now he's getting used downfield and he's clearly the guy that Brissett's looking to the most and they're coming on play action plays. I think it could all line up for Waddle to have a pretty nice game. The other guys uh, I think are a lot harder to trust. Any other shocking thoughts on the Dolphins receiver core here? Or are we just stunned? Uh, it, it comes down. It does, it does come down to the game script because the Colts have registered the league's fewest pressures through three games. But in terms of Joe Jacoby Brissett, he's still averaged fewer than four and a half yards per attempt, whether he's been under man, pressure man. or in a clean pocket on 89 pass attempts in his two interim starts. Also going one of six on passes 20 plus yards downfield. Uh, but he is keeping, at least for a high floor, I don't know about the ceiling games for these players, but he's keeping Jalen Waddle and Jasicki alive. Jasicki, who has 18 of his 21 targets this year from Brissett and Waddle's three-yard depth of target over the past two games with a 22% target share. So I don't know if Brissett is ever the kind of player to open up, but it would come in a game where even the Colts front seven probably is not good enough to collapse Miami's pocket. I was to say though, because I mean, we know the Dolphins, if you can collapse their pocket, they will let you with this offensive line. And Correct. Jacoby Brissett, you know, plays famously slow. Uh, him behind this line, this feels like a match made in hell to me, which <laughs> could really kind of be one of the reasons maybe the play action isn't where we want it to be, Crane, just because like, Pretty risky to do play action if you can't block like at all. I mean, I know on play action you're being blocking oh, isn't no. as important. You're getting sprung, but like when your line is so easily caved in, it could be a problem. Uh, that's all I'm saying, folks. And uh, for the backfield, though, yeah, talk uh, about the backfield. Are we any more comfortable with Miles Gaskin after week three? Because the touches went up, but the snap rate actually fell from 61 to 52. Dangle. Yeah. Yes and no because. They basically turned Gaskin and Malcolm Brown into Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Uh, Gaskin handled the majority of the workload, 16 of 23 backfield touches, as you mentioned, but Malcolm Brown got the only, the team's only two carries inside the 10-yard line. So 
it is a very good matchup for Gaskin. But again, if they're going to take him out in the red zone, it was a one game sample. We don't know, but it is at least encouraging that Savan Ahmed was active and they still played him zero snaps. They just took him out of the picture altogether. Yeah, Pat, when you started talking about the Dolphins, you said the Dolphins are averaging four. And I thought that sentence was going to end with Malcolm Brown wildcat snaps per game. <laughs> Dude, because we saw them try it. <laughs> we saw them try and do that last week. But Daigle hit on the important part is that if you're not getting used in the red zone uh, and you don't play for an explosive offense like Chase Edmonds does, you're just kind of a, a fringe option PPR, even half PPR leagues. He can still score from outside the red zone. He has one red zone touch to Brissett and Brown's six through three weeks. <sighs> So I'm not uh, not awfully optimistic about this offense under Brissett. I'm not optimistic that if they get in the red zone, they will actually use the running back we want them to use, which is Miles Gaskin. So I, I think he probably falls below James Robinson because I think James Robinson just holds a much higher share of his awful offenses, carries, plus the same amount of targets. And at that point, you're looking at a RB3 at, at best, really, like, you know, maybe 24, 25. Yeah, I think he stays kind of there on that RB2, 3 borderline just um, based on the touches alone. But like the, the upside for more is just really not there with Miles Gaskin right now, unless this becomes a one-man backfield. And there's just no indication they want that to happen. Uh, we want a one-man backfield to happen with the Colts, and we know that's not happening. Um, so what is our Jonathan Taylor comfort level right now? Because he's not a zero in the passing game, but Naheem Hines, as expected, has been involved enough to make it very uncomfortable. The game flow, the game scripts have been bad for the Colts. John got talked about in the opening of the show, but John, do you, you want to expand? I mean, like, so do you not view Jonathan Taylor as an RB1 right now? It Again, it comes down to are the Colts competing or are they a negative game script? Uh, this game is a fun disaster, so it could be a good game script. Uh, Naheem Hines, though, has averaged seven targets and 13 touches, and the two games Marlon Mack played zero snaps this year. Now – the Colts were trailing by those in by two scores in both of those games in week one and then in week three, whereas they covered, they were within a field goal in week two. And that's when we saw Jonathan Taylor had five carries inside the 10, whereas he had zero compared to Hines' two last year. So you really just have to ask yourself the game script you predict. And I do think this will be a back and forth. I don't know if it is a back and forth explosive like fireworks show or if it's a disastrous back and forth <laughs> something that i will have an opinion on because it's going to matter by the time we do dfs bidding building block show friday 6 p.m eastern because there are some like sneaky plays like will fuller here but for redraft i think it's pretty simple you're still starting jonathan taylor because wherever you drafted him you can't bench him anyways um and michael Pittman, who has a at least a 32 percent target share he's an alpha back-to-back John. games he's an alpha he's i don't know alpha. if he's an alpha but he's getting targets right now Always has been. Uh, yeah, just to double down, any game Jonathan Taylor is, his team at least, is competitive in. They're only, you know, two-point dogs, I think, in this game. It's perfectly fine playing these six in combined rushing and receiving expected fantasy points. You know, the only real concern is that I'm not sure they want to use him as a receiver. We saw, again, apparently he's like Sammy Watkins as a week one receiver. Six targets, I believe, or seven targets in week one. Six targets in the last week one we saw him in. And then he didn't achieve that again through the entirety of his rookie season. He's been back-to-back one-catch games. So I think that week one might have just been a a bit of a mirage, even though he's probably talented enough to do it, sort of like Derrick Henry, where if he's not... If he's not the best pass catcher in the world, he is a great player to put on matchups with cornerbacks out in the flat, but his team doesn't seem to care as much about that as maybe we would like. Any game that's even modestly competitive, though, you're not benching Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, it's a tough situation because it's like they have these these roles, but they're not super clearly defined, right? 
you would think that Naeem Hines would be more like a J.D. McKissick, where he's a pure receiving back, but he's not. They left him in last week for goal line work. He's get you know he's he's kind of like able to do the hot hand thing at times, and they like Naeem Hines too. But well, they don't I like him. The they love him. They love him. You're right. The fact that Marlon Mack was a healthy scratch last week is they explore a trade, which would indicate he'll be a healthy scratch again. I think that's really good. I think it unlocks ceiling for both guys. It unlocks ceiling for Jonathan Taylor. If they're liking the way Taylor's playing, if they're throwing him a few passes, they're throwing him some screens, and they're using him around the goal line, he does have a ton of upside because the same way that like Naeem Hines just happened to outsnap him last week, which is very unexpected, but... You know, you'll see things kind of swing back and forth between these two running backs in a way that doesn't happen so much, you know, compared to like Washington. We're going to see Gibson and McKissick kind of in their roles, I think, a little bit more stably than we will here. And so that uncertainty does at least create upside as well for Taylor, even though you're kind of a little bit nervous anytime you're really counting on him. I, and I will say, Quentin Nelson, who is not expected to play on Sunday, oh boy. that affects jonathan taylor that does not affect naheem hines or at least affects him to a much lesser extent quentin please get back soon i uh, have zero jonathan taylor shares except for several jonathan taylor shares and uh we're waiting on you quentin um that does it any unless there's any stray thoughts i mean i think we uh it's kind of a weird slate of games this week we're gonna get to the other 10 tomorrow interesting weird week four there's not many like eruption spot games there's a few there's a few like 54 55 not as many as last week though um so this is a weird week of fantasy so check out all of our stuff on the site as we break it down we got cranes the walkthrough on friday got my rankings coming out tomorrow uh, we got deggles waivers if your league has not processed waivers yet i'm still in a few leagues to do waivers on wednesday check that out check out kyle's chat on Wednesday evening, check out Building Blocks on Friday, of course. And just check out everything on the site because all of it is amazing. And that includes part two of this preview pod on Thursday, hosted by Matt Strout. Um, so for John, for the other Pat, for Kyle, I am the real Pat. We'll catch you later this week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.